Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Right, so here we are in the workshop. Please meet Andy. <laughs> Andy, <Heather. laughs> nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. <laughs> and, and what are all these things? What's all in here? Uh, these, these are the brass type that we use, so... Um... I'm to drop one in there so I can hear it. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> It's all the alphabet and one, two, zero, obviously. Or we do a service where we'll take your handwriting and make these plates. Yeah, so a client will actually do their handwriting and we make a metal plate here. So this is, so this is an example. So hey, Mrs. Moneypenny, you can not tell me I send you to only boring things. A look inside luxury handbag maker Anya Hindmarsh's workshop and a chat with a woman herself right up your street. Indeed, I have to say it was incredibly eye-opening to see the craftsmen at work. You know, Carol, we were talking about artisans and whether the making things has become a thing of the past. And I now feel wholly optimistic about the future of artisanal working. In fact, we'll hear from one young man who left a job in the city to create bespoke furniture. And I spent an afternoon with Nick Ashley Cooper, who's the 12th Earl of Shaftesbury at St Giles House, the estate in Dorset, which he has been carefully renovating with all kinds of specialist artisans. Shall we get back to Anya's workshop? So I started designing handbags in 1987, uh, <laughs> when I was obviously about 13. Um, and, um, but the, almost one of the first things, I started designing handbags, but I had always had an element of bespoke. And when I first started, I, you could have a handbag made, and I would make a strap to the length that you needed, or we would have monograms embroidered onto the clutch bags, or indeed your handwriting embossed onto wallets. That was always the DNA of the brand, to a certain extent. A few years ago now, I really wanted to kind of do a store dedicated to Bespoke. There was this lovely opportunity whereby um, one of our original stores on Pont Street, which is a, a rather sort of pretty store because it's quite shallow and wide with a really rather beautiful old shop front, I thought actually it's a lovely opportunity to kind of retain that original store and kind of keep ourselves there in the, the bones of the building and open this dream that I had always wanted to open. And at the heart of that was bringing the craftsman back to connect with the customer because actually I think in luxury, People have lost that connection with how things are made. And actually, that's, for me, the most fascinating part. And the dream was to, therefore, have this store dedicated to, for me, actually, the perfect present. Because I love to give presents. And the presents that I think are always the most successful are those that have an, an element of personalisation. Luxury doesn't mean anything anymore. It's, it's an overused word. For me, luxury is two things. One, it's behaviour. But it's also stories. For me, the joy is saying, look at this lovely perfume. I bought it, I found it in Tangiers. It's made from orange blossom, which is local. And, and when I bought it, we had this funny lunch afterwards. And it has a story to it, as opposed to, I bought this in, you know, in a shop in Bond Street, and isn't it lovely, but so many other people have the same thing. You have five children, and I'm sure you've got a view about young people and artisanship and whether millennials are really interested in doing something that's slow and bespoke. It's interesting. I think that um, having encouraged my many children to go into sensible careers to start with and then see, and I have a lawyer and I have a management consultant and I have an, an actor and I have two students at the moment. And interesting, my daughter, who was a management consultant, actually decided to, to quit and to go to a start-up and she's working in artisanal coffee. And you possibly have as much chance to be successful in something that's craftsmanship-led, I think, is actually perhaps one of the traditional sort of big service industry roles. Because actually with the access to market now, with huge distribution 
potential of the internet, you can actually build up a brand for something rather special. There is a market for it, without a doubt. But you can then have some ownership and a real chance to make some real money, I think, over perhaps not being in control of your own life. So I think there is actually a growing trend, actually, for kids in their early 20s to kind of think rather differently. I'm Joe. I'm 23, soon to be 24. I'm from Upminster in Essex. And I uh, used to work in the City of London in a boring office job. And now I'm working or training to be a, a fine woodworker at the International in Chippendale School of Furniture. I just really enjoy the design aspects. I enjoy making things with my hands, putting the hard work throughout the day and coming up with a, a finalised piece that you know that you've put your heart and soul into. And I grew up with a few arty uh, people in my family, my granddad being one. He was a big, big part of inspiring me to do what I'm doing now. I don't like shuffling papers around a desk. Having to answer the man, I didn't like that sucking up and playing the game, as people say. It wasn't really my scene. I'm a complete anomaly in my friendship group. Um, everyone else chasing the financial dream, making loads of money, and that just is not me. I just enjoy the hard work with my hands and getting involved and stuck in it. The physical work is, is fun. I enjoy that side of it. I am hoping to make some money at least. It would need some hard work and graft, but I'm willing to put that in because it's something that I really enjoy. Black Horse Workshop in Walthamstow, North London, is a hive of artisanal activity, a huge space for makers of all kinds. Claire Locher is one inhabitant who upcycles discarded furniture she finds on the streets of London. Where I began really was a reaction to the amount of furniture that was being thrown away around London. And that developed into a small business. And I run workshops. And that's really where my passion around this is at the moment. People either bring something they're tired of or is broken. Together we make it something they now still want, so they don't throw it away. I think the need to make things with our hands is very natural. And I think it's something that perhaps for a period of time we forgot we could do. As I see it, not a lot of the curriculum is encouraging people to understand that we're all makers. As long as you have a few tools on your side and maybe someone to encourage you. And my mum was a big encourager of that in my childhood. But I think personally, if that could be encouraged in schools, it would be absolutely wonderful. When I make and when I find, say, recently I found a chest of drawer top. It was a beautiful piece of oak. The rest of it was absolutely destroyed. And I made a coffee table out of that top piece. And I did some sort of rays of colour painting on top. Making that from a piece of garbage essentially felt absolutely wonderful and now I look at that and every time I look at it I feel like something began again. When I run a workshop lots of the comments I get are delight and surprise at what people are able to do, what they go home with, how easy it is. I think that young people, the turnaround is so fast when it comes to the virtual world. I'm on Instagram and I, I see that snapping of your world and what inspires you and in order to really feel connected with a piece you're making, it takes time. So Anya, here is my 
black purse, which my husband gave me on my 50th birthday, which I have to say was four years ago now. And in it, my initials are here, and it says, darling, happy 50th, we all love you, but most of all me. Uh, and my husband's initials and some kisses, but all in his own handwriting, which is so special. Where was my purse made? Was it made in Italy? Was it made, made, in, Italy, made yeah. in Italy? We make nearly everything in Italy. We do a little bit in England. Sadly, I watched the demise of the leather industry, actually, as I started my business. I literally saw it happen, and there was actually an amazing leather handbag industry actually in, in Hackney and when I started I used to work with some factories there and there's literally one or two left now very few and I remember going to visit them and seeing one of those walls of clock-in time sheets and seeing obviously there have been hundreds of employees but now there were just five and as a consequence what happens is when an industry declines like that and I think a lot of the manufacturing was sucked out to probably to, to Italy or Spain but also perhaps to China and what happens is all then the supporting trades disappear as well. So all the people who would supply the buckles and the skins and the lining leathers and the, you know, all the, the different bits and machines that you needed, then that all starts to break away as well. What happens in Italy that they are doing, that they are training people in leather then that we're not doing here? There's always been a much bigger leather industry there, just traditionally. And I think you also have a lot of family companies in Italy so um, that are spread very much all over the country. So you don't have to be in the big sort of cities. You can actually be all over. So I guess they can be a little bit protected against perhaps huge rent hikes and some of the things that can really hurt. However, I think you then look to the Brits to say that actually design and creativity is what we do very well. And what's really special for me is finding the craftsmen then to go into the stores. Some of them were people who were craftspeople before. And then in fact one guy was like, you know, I've been doing something completely different for the last 20 years. I cannot believe you found me because this is my dream job and I'm back now doing what I wanted to do. And perhaps we can we can regenerate the need for craftsmen by, you know, the fact that we need them in the stores and this is it. things things change and morph. So I, I don't think there's in any way that we can't get great people here or that there isn't a, a big future for it here. But I just think that, you know, we're we're specialists at certain things and Italians are specialists at other things. Nick Ashley Cooper is the Earl of Shaftesbury, and he's renovating and restoring the family estate at St Giles's house. So out of the artisans that you've used, who are the most difficult to find? Metal workers. There's uh, a level of skill that the Victorians had with sort of foundry work, which is really hard to replicate, you know, now. I think people have moved on to different types of metals and getting you know iron work done that was always really complicated and it was difficult to get it at the, at the, the same detail as uh, as what we've had previously and when you when you work with these kind of guys do they come with a contingent of young apprentices or do you find that you're working with a 70 year old man who's clinging on to information that's going to die with him it's a range but i would say the sort of industry that I've encountered through doing the work on the house is pretty well and thriving. There's a lot of young guys that are learning these kind of trades for plaster work, fine wood carving work. You know, certainly the skills right now are as good as they've ever been. I mean, you know, the work that people have done to replicate, you know, 18th century panelling or beautiful plaster work is right up there. I don't see the, I don't see the difference. Since kind of 2008 and the financial crisis, has it gotten easier to find people to do this kind of work because people have moved into the industry? Or is it more difficult because fewer houses are being restored, there's less money to spend on artisan crafts? We did really the bulk of the work after 2008, so we always felt it was pretty good time to, to go out and look for work, you know, because there would be people there you know, really wanting it. Uh, which I think in some sense proved right. So I didn't have the perspective really of before and after, but I definitely have 
a perspective of when my father did his work in the 70s and the 80s, and most people look back at the, you know, those times in terms of restoration and sort of think of it as like the dark ages compared to where we are now. There's much more of an appreciation of how to restore things sensitively. There's someone out there for every aspect. Even with the, the library, there's someone who I've spoken to about just the bindings yeah. and just identifying, you know, what book press created the books. Any of those have young apprentices come along with them and learn this trade or <laughs> i don't see too many young ones i must admit in that world no um but not to say there's not some great ones out there yeah. i haven't met so anya finally i come to my five irreverent questions because this is after all this is called mrs money penny's irreverent questions um and they're not very irreverent though i mean what's the one skill in your job as a designer that you think is really important for someone to have I think curiosity actually is really important because I think through curiosity you find out what people want and what they need but also you discover weird things that actually end up being quite interesting. If you hadn't been a designer, what do you think you would have done? If I hadn't been a designer, I would love to have been an architect. I'm not sure I could have done all the maths but I, I think buildings fascinate me and I think partly there's a similarity actually between buildings and, and handbags, bizarrely, bear with me. They're pieces of architecture, they're pieces of sculpture in a way, they are 3D things that you use and you interact with. And for me, um, you know, a really good building is completely mood-altering and for me a really beautiful handbag is also completely mood-altering. My third question is, who has been your greatest influence? It's a really hard one, actually, but I would probably say it's the craftsman, truly, because that has been my, my design school, um, and no better design school, literally sitting there with them and, and sort of you know, fiddling away. And they really shape what we do, um, and, and it's very thrilling to work with clever craftsmen. I mean, they have everything I can't do. I hope that I have a few mm. things they can't do, so it's a, it's a lean, lean, but it's, um, it, it's a very intimate relationship with your craftsperson, and I've, I've learned a huge amount. I'm fascinated to know, do you have a favourite app that you use? So I literally love technology and I love things that work. And probably my most used and most favourite app is um, Halo, which is an incredible uh, taxi hailing service. I'm a huge uh, fan of London Black Cabs. Um, I, I support them to the cows come home. I think they're the barometer of what London's thinking. They make me truly proud to be British, actually. What would you always take with you on a business trip? Probably my loose pocket system, which makes me sound really sad, but I'm, I travel a lot, as we all do, and um, and there's nothing more annoying than having the wrong currency and the wrong receipts and the wrong bags and trying to... So I like to be organised. And so many minutes ago, I remember drawing out some money in, in the airport and putting my dollars in one plastic wallet and my, my euros, as it was, then in, my, in another plastic wallet. And I remember thinking that actually I could do better than that. Why don't I have a beautiful leather wallet that says dollars on it and another beautiful leather wallet that says euros on it and perhaps another one that says receipts on it and I could actually organise. I love a system. Um, so <laughs> I have um, a rather sad little system of these little pockets which are all city-specific. City uh, so thank you for my cup of tea. My, uh, <laughs> my pleasure. <laughs> oh, and, um, and thank you very much for hosting me in your store. Really love to see you as always. Thank you. Mrs Moneypenny. Yes, Carolyn. I don't think your questions to Anya were particularly irreverent. Is that <laughs> is that because you have 12 handbags? I don't have 12 handbags. I think I have about 10. And by the way, not all of them come from Anya. I know a lot of them <laughs> do, but not all of them come from Anya. But she tells me that her husband put a very rude message inside one of her handbags to her. And I didn't have the gall to ask what it was. You call yourself a journalist. But listen, I, I've learned quite a lot from this. Um, I, I went in thinking, oh, we'd find out about how 
difficult in the current economic environment it is to make anything real, to spend any time doing artisanal work. And I thought it was going to be all kind of posh girls who could afford to fall back on their mother's purse if they, you know, if they needed to, if it didn't work. But it, again, it, and, uh, it just does, didn't seem that way. No, it wasn't. And other thing, the other thing is it's a passion. You know, these people are passionate about what they do. Isn't that lovely? You see how long these things tend to get made. I mean, who has the patience to sit there? I mean, I have to take things to the loo to read because I can't bear to waste that time. And hearing about how a handbag is made, I, I will treat my handbag with new respect. Now I know how it's made and how the edges are made and cut and the tools that it takes. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.